Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 154 of Maximize Your Influence. Kurt, how was the weekend? Good weekend. Got caught up on a little sleep. I've been doing these four-hour webinars to Asia, and for some reason they didn't want to go on their time zone and not my time zone. So, What's up with so that? So inconsiderate of them. <laughs> no. Can they not use my time zone? So that's middle-of-night type stuff. So got some sleep, enjoyed the fall, but I did think of you. I did think uh -oh. of you because I know – Next week is start of the college football season, and you are a rabid college football fan. I think rabid's an accurate word, yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. You are rabid. Yeah, we're getting all fired <laughs> up at my house. My dad and brothers are going down to Texas to see a game. I can't go with them because duty calls. We're pretty excited. Just the atmosphere and, well, you know, the food. We like the food on the podcast. Uh, there we go. We got to talk about the college football food. And I don't think there is anything nutritious. Although, every once in a while, you'll see a vegetable tray at a college football game. Just every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, somebody's got to do it. I, I told you I was in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago and went to a baseball game, San Francisco Giants. And I'll tell you, the, the food that you can get at a Giants game mm -hmm. it is a, just a titch different than, like, if you're at the Cincinnati Reds, for example. <laughs> <laughs> the Giants, yeah. it's, it's fish and seafood and red wine. <laughs> At the Cincinnati Reds, it's Skyline Chili and Fries, and uh, it's pretty funny to see how that differs region to region. Yeah, I think as you go east, you get a lot more deep fat fried stuff. That's what I noticed when I lived back east. Everything was deep fat fried. <laughs> yeah. Everything. Everything, okay. yeah. Yeah, okay. I don't think that's healthy, but it tasted good. It makes everything taste good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's fantastic, and I know that you've been itching because we didn't do it last week. You've been itching to hit that Urkel button. I can feel it in the air. Can we just like forget it this week, or do we really? I never it? let you forget it because you <laughs> try to weasel out of it, even if I remember it. All right, Steve's favorite, the Urkel. <laughs> That's so great. Memories, mm. memories. So this title of this article is extra geeky. I'm not going to make you hit the button again to account for the extra geekiness. I'm just going to kind of throw it out there. But tell us about what you found here about cognitive distortions and relationships. Yeah, it's an interesting article from, uh, this one's from Psych Central, that talks about cognitive distortions. Not to be confused with cognitive dissonance, but there's some overlap here. It means your mind convinces you that something is true when it really isn't. And so they talk about these cognitive distortions that ruin relationships. See, these thoughts are inaccurate and they reinforce negative thinking. This is a problem because there is a direct link between what we think and how we feel, which means you may be sabotaging yourself in your relationships and you don't even realize it all right so we won't go all of them we're going to post it to the, the website of course first one is assuming the worst this is overestimating the likelihood that an action will have a negative outcome maybe your partner doesn't do things exactly like you but that doesn't mean it's gonna be a negative or wrong outcome but, but when you start looking for the worst we know what happens that's an expectation thing when you expect the worst to happen it's going to happen you're going to see what you want to see and that could really hurt the relationship. The second one is making your partner responsible for your feelings. Okay, It's certainly nice when your partner can sue. They call this self-soothing, but you have to be able to soothe yourself. It's not their job 
to be responsible for your feeling and for your bad day. They can help in certain circumstances, but it's your job to be able to do that. True, true. Not that I've mastered it, but true. <laughs> that is right. All right, with something we can all work on. Clinging to your own point of view. Failing to look at the topic of tension from your partner's perspective. For example, ignoring your partner's emotional needs or complaining that he or she is too needy, right? We always have our own filters, own point of view, which could really damage a relationship. And this is true even in sales. You see everything through your filter, your point of view, your personality, your meta programs to where it could really skew what's actually happening. That is a big one. Another one they mentioned was labeling at first sight or mentally labeling your partner's best friend as a loser. We've never done that before. Or not being open to evidence uh, that they're not a loser, but that can make your partner feel defensive and cause emotional distance in the relationship. So that's something. And a big one we all need to work on also is blaming others. Every time something goes wrong in a relationship, you blame someone else, usually your partner. It's important to take responsibility for your behavior Remember, when you're in a relationship, it's about we, not I. That's a big one because when you blame somebody else, and this is true even in the workplace, when you blame somebody else, that means you're not at fault. You have nothing to fix, even though you might be partially to blame. You might be 100% to blame. That is a big one, especially when you talk about success principles. When you look at your life or your income, uh, who's to blame? In fact, I've done this in success seminars. I go, well, go ahead and list the five reasons you're not as successful as you want to be. And almost every time they forget themselves because it's the economy or the government or their partner or their family or their parents. It's always somebody else. That makes a huge issue. And when all these things come into play, what we see and what we think we see tend to be two very different things. And that can skew our relationships, how we act, what we do and can hurt our ability to be successful and hurt our ability to have a successful relations, not only in the business place, but with our partners. Mm. I've been rereading a great book, uh, Leadership and Self-Deception. I think you've read that book too, and it mm -hmm. uh, deals with a lot of those things of, of what you think you know, what you think you know about something, and you may not even be aware that you're the problem. And that's kind of the under, underlying theme I hear in the article is making a lot of assumptions and not communicating well is a big problem in relationships today. Absolutely. And that's the big thing, to be open, to see the world through their eyes, their thinking, their meta program, their personality are things that we need to take into consideration. Because a lot of times we assume they think like us, they feel like us, they are motivated like us, their personalities like us, and that will backfire every time. And we said it before on the show, I say it every time, is your job is to persuade people how they want to be persuaded. And that's also true in relationships. Good points. Good points. Let's move on to the main section of the show here, Kurt, and you know we, we love to just kind of tell our listeners how it is. We are working on getting a guest interview done, and we're also recording another episode here on some, uh, some of the things that we want to talk about today. So recently, we did a podcast on presentation skills back on episode 153, and this may follow that immediately. It may not, uh, due to a guest interview that we're just trying to work out. So if there's a little bit of a confusion there, just know that that's the reason. But back on 153, we gave you three keys for your next presentation. That's some great pointers on what you need to think about when you're getting up in front of the room or, or you're presenting a product to a client. And it's going to come as no surprise to you, the listeners, that we didn't use all our keys. We got lots more keys. Right? Mm -hmm. Three. And so that's what we're here to do today. These are big blunders and things that people commit when they're presenting. And it's really, really easy for you mentally to go here and to commit these. And we want to make sure that you don't. 
And I also want to make sure that you do a couple of small, easy things that make your presentation so much more memorable in the mind of your prospect. So, Kurt, let's get let's get into thing one. That sounds like a Dr. Seuss novel. Thing one. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> do I have to get everything to rhyme as I talk? Yes, yes. We need to do this uh, quite Seussian. Is that even a word? It is now. Seussical, I believe, is a word. I think that's uh, been... Claim. Seussical, wow. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the name of the musical, the Seussical, the Dr. Seuss? I think it is. You're talking to a guy know. that didn't know there was a Dr. Seuss musical, so I'm the wrong person Okay, there you go. Come on, get up. Well, we need some culture. Got to learn something on every show. Oh, your <laughs> Dr. Seuss is your version of culture? Yes, yes it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just well, wanted to make you say that. <laughs> well, if you had the musical part, there's a little culture. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> So, Kurt, what's the first thing that we can do beyond back on 153 to, to kind of add to this for our next presentation? Well, big picture is we talked a lot about focusing on the topic and doing all this research, but it's really not always about the topic. And one big thing I always illustrate right in the beginning of any type of training on this topic is it's never the topic, it's always the speaker. Meaning there's no such thing as a boring topic, only boring speakers. Any great speaker can make any topic come alive. And that's critical. They're like, well, wait a minute. I like let's let's create the most boring topics on the world, and we'll write them on the board. I'll get things like warts or weeding, right? Getting your kids to weed or manure, right? Or cooking flour. And I said, all right, let's make these exciting. And it's true. You can take any topic, make it exciting or intriguing or interesting, or make them want to listen with any topic. For example, warts. Now, if I did this at a college class, I'd say, okay, warts. How could you make that exciting? How could you get a group of freshmen to listen to you on a one-hour presentation of warts. I get a lot of things from, all right, well, look to your right, look to your left. One of you are going to leave with warts this semester, right? Gross. That's going to grab attention. Exactly. Gross. There's pictures you could show. You could talk about things that people do, how they're not going to be able to date because of their <laughs> warts, right? You could talk about, you know, make it come alive for them, get into the world, what's in it for them. You could get them to listen. Say, look, if you don't listen to these three things that you're already doing, if you keep doing them, I guarantee you, you're going to leave with warts this semester. You've got a captive audience, right? So gross. They are listening. Now, I don't know how we got off on that topic. Sorry about that, listeners. But any topic that you can, you can make come alive, and that's important to realize. Now, some topics are easier than others. Some topics are more exciting than others. But you got to look at your topic and make it come alive to your audience. What's in it for them? Why should they care? Those are things you got to talk about because you've got 30 seconds to grab their attentions. You've got 30 seconds to get in their world. And if you don't do that, their phones are out. They're multitasking. They're answering emails. They've tuned you out. They might be pretend to listening. They might even get a little eye contact here and there, but they're not. 30 seconds to prove your worth, to get in their world. It is not the topic, it is you. I think the opposite is also true. You could take a topic that's really, really exciting and you have the wrong speaker and everybody's asleep. I've seen that many a time. They're like, wow, that's interesting. You're like, how did they destroy that topic? Yeah, yeah, they can <laughs> do it. All by itself. They can do it's it. Interesting. I've seen they headlines can. before for articles or speeches that I've ended up attending and I've got, oh, this is awful. This is not what I showed up for. And that happens all the time when they have some creative person come up with this great title, but the presenter just can't pull it off. Yeah. And they've ruined a great title. And that's the other thing with your presentation. When you come up with a great title, that's another way to get people there intrigued and listening before you even start. Great. All right. Back to Dr. Seuss lingo. What's thing two? <laughs> you got to have passion. 
That's the big thing. And here's a question I want you to ask you when you're giving a presentation. Because sometimes you're giving the same presentations 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 times. And here's the question you have to ask yourself. Are you singing the song or are you singing the words? And your audience can sense that. Because passion is more important than your content. When they feel that you care, when they feel that you have passion, when they can feel that transfer of energy, it comes alive and they want to listen. Because passion, more than anything else, recruit the hearts and minds of your audience. And when you have that passion, you have that charisma, when you have that enthusiasm, and this is a whole other podcast, but when you have that, your audience will come alive. They're going to listen. They're going to get excited. They're going to what I call move a notch. They might not necessarily jump on a board right away, but they can feel your passion and know that you care. They've moved a few notches as far as wanting to do what you want them to do. That is a big one. So you have to ask yourself, are you singing the song or are you singing the words? Are you just going through the motions, doing that presentation again? You could do it in your sleep. Or are they feeling your passion? Do they feel that you care? And that's one thing you need to do. Increase your passion about your product, your service, and your idea. Well, I can't not ask you then. I mean, how would you do that? How would you increase your passion? Well, they've got pills for that. Uh, well, that kind <laughs> of passion, yeah. Oh, I'm kidding. All right, let's back <laughs> up. Well, that's a great question because how do you do that? And just a few things to put out there is, first of all, you've got to be a product of your product. When you can see the product, use the product, you believe in the product, it's changed your life, you naturally have passion. The more you learn about your product, your service, your idea, your space, the more passionate you should become. And if not, you might want to look at a different product or a service, but you've got to have that passion. Sure, you can go through the motions sometimes and be successful, but it makes a big difference to, to learn, to study about the knowledge. Read success stories about people who've had their lives changed and it exceeded their expectations that increases passion. So learning, growing, reading, becoming a product of the product, probably the very first thing you should do to increase your passion because you know that it's making a big difference. And I'll add this too, and I've said this before on the show, is that you have a moral and ethical obligation to persuade people. You should be passionate about your product because if you don't persuade them, if you don't have passion about it, somebody with an inferior product, inferior service that's going to take their money, that's not going to fulfill their expectations – you should be in the spot and say, no, I've got to have this passion because I'm changing lives. I'm helping people. I'm exceeding their expectations. And if I don't do it, someone else is going to take their money and will do a worse job than I do. Great explanation. Almost like you've given it before. Mm-hmm. Mm. So let's go to number three. And I think this is really important because what you can create here with number three is the unintentional heckler. And your audience, they don't know when to ask questions or when it's appropriate to do that, but some of them are just going to do it anyway. <laughs> and you have to be aware of this. So that's the third point is taking questions from the audience. What's your advice there? This is going to help your presentation or destroy your presentation. <laughs> just putting it out there. The way you handle questions, the way you interact with questions, your facial expressions during questions, your vocal tone during questions. So the first question you have to ask yourself is, do you even want to take questions? Mm -hmm. I mean, because every time someone asks you questions, it can take you off course. It can sabotage your presentation. I know one thing that's worked for me when I didn't want questions is something that's very simple and it works really well. Is like, look, I'm going to answer 99% of your questions during this presentation. Let's uh, take a vote here. I can go 20 minutes and answer your questions at the end. Or we can go 45 minutes and take your questions throughout your presentation. Which one do you want? <laughs> And I guarantee you they're going to vote for the 20 minutes. Right, right, right. 
And the great thing is, when that hand goes up, you don't have to say anything. They will police themselves. Yes. Well, dude, get your hey, get your hand down. That's one thing you can do. But ultimately, the questions are going to come. Yeah. And it depends on the situation. So you have to be very careful here and not be offended with the question. Not think to yourself, well, I already answered that. Didn't they listen? Because they probably weren't. You can't go down that route. And you've got to realize, too, that it took a lot of guts for some people to ask a question. You go back to college days or high school days where you asked a question you felt stupid. So no matter what the question is, you need to say, thank you, I appreciate that. You might even want to say, well, I apologize. I must not explain that clearly, even though you think you did. And keep the door open for more questions. Because if you're trying to persuade or sell them, you want them to ask questions. You want to put it out there. But if they feel stupid the first time they ask a question, yeah, you're not going to get any more questions. That's just how it is. So that's the first thing. The other thing, too, you have to realize is that if they ask you a question and you don't know the answer to it, this could destroy your credibility. Now, there are times to say, well, I don't know. But if they expect you to know the answer, you got to be careful. Some proven techniques that really work in the situation is have them repeat the question so it gives you more time to think about it so you, you don't have to say, I don't know. You could ask that person, well, let me know what you think before I answer. That is a great way. You see college professors do that all the time, just throw it back to the audience or to the student asking the question. You might want to say, you know, it's taking us off course. Why don't you send me an email and I'll send you the answer, which buys you a little time. and You didn't have to say, I don't know. And uh, my favorite, just get with them at the break and say, I don't know. (laughs) But you didn't have to say that to the whole group. You're saying it to one person. You have to answer these questions in the right way. It'll make or break you. Do you want questions? The way you handle the questions, keeping it open for more questions. And if you don't know the answer, handling it in the right way where you don't lose credibility. I liked what you said there. This is something I've done myself. I, I give a two-day presentation to groups of real estate investors. And like you said, set the rules at the beginning about how questions are going to be handled. If you don't set the rules at the beginning of your presentation, you have no right to get angry or upset as to how things unfold questions-wise. right? And I've been telling people, hey, you are welcome to ask as many questions as you like during this. We've got two days together, and I want to make sure that you all get answered. I will give you one of a couple of answers. I will answer your question. I will say, we're going to get to that later. Good question. Or I might say, you know what? That doesn't matter. <laughs> right? As you listen to the rest of the what we talk about, you'll realize that it actually just doesn't matter. It doesn't mean it was a bad question. It just means that this is new information to you and and things will come unwound uh, in, in a good way there. So I found that people really, really appreciate a presenter who is willing to genuinely listen and answer questions. Like you had said, you've got to define the rules of that. Otherwise, it's going to backfire on you massively. And that's a great point. Define the rules up front. Are you allowing questions? Are you going to when's appropriate to ask questions? Are you going to say, I'm going to answer that later, see if we get the break, and let them know up front what's going to happen. And And realize, too, when they are asking that question, especially in a group setting, that you have the eye contact and you never, ever interrupt a mid-question. You need to let them finish. Otherwise, you're going to cross the line from confidence to arrogance. And, And I know you've heard it before. I know you know the right answer. But let them finish. Let them go through it. Let them work through it. And it'll have a better connection with you and the audience and you won't lose credibility. Yeah. I had a guy I was presenting to a group of investors in Orlando this was probably two months ago. And I had spent about two and a half hours explaining a kind of an intermediately complex subject about investing. Two and a half hours, right? We really dug into this thing, really getting deep. And I finish it and everybody's nodding. Okay, good. All right, move on to the next topic. And about five minutes later, I'm not kidding you, 
this guy raises his hand and basically asks me everything that I just repeated for the last two and a half hours. <laughs> and and I, I saw notable eye rolls and even heard a groan uh, in the audience. This, I, I kind of getting off into heckler handling, Kurt, which I guess can be a part of taking questions. I kind of viewed it that I had the green light to shut this guy down. Usually I'm pretty polite and pretty patient. And I said, hey, where you been, man? <laughs> and everybody laughed. And he was a little embarrassed. And I said, I know, we did answer it, but it's complex. You heard the answer, but you might not have picked up on it. So we'll do a quick review towards the end of the workshop that'll refresh what, what you just asked there. This kind of was a subtle hint to everybody. Hey, pay attention. We, we are actually covering things here. <laughs> yeah, I've had that happen before, too. And sometimes you can use the audience in a situation like that. Well, we've covered that. Uh, let's, let's go to the group. Do you guys want me to review that a little bit and cover that? Or do you want me to move on? All right? And they'll, they'll tell you usually to move on, and uh, you can get with them the break and kind of soothe their, soothe their feelings or mend their feelings a little bit. I've read a lot of speaker evaluations, many about myself, many about other speakers. And one of the most common complaints I do see from audiences is how the questions were handled. Right. Oh, the speaker let people ask too many dumb questions and just let everything go on and on and on. Right. So you have to be able to strike that balance between being willing to listen and answer questions, but not let people who just can't keep up hijack the meeting because that's uh, that's no good. No bueno. That's no bueno. And that's even in college courses. That person raised their hand too many times. They don't get it. They're missing filters, but it makes everybody else tense and upset. I mean, you're the instructor, you want to answer the question. Sometimes you got to get with them the break and say, hey, appreciate your questions, but we got to let everyone to participate or, or, or sometimes just shut them down a little bit and give them a different way to get their questions answered. Yep, exactly. Or tell them to shut up. Can you do that? <laughs> when the audience is on your side and you're starting to lose it because of this person, I don't know if that's the word you use, but I'll let you do it. Okay, I'll let you know how it goes. All right. Yeah. All right, Kurt, anything else to keep in mind on presentation skills? Just to review a little bit from our last episode when we talked about that, the rehearsal. Right? We're spending too much time on the content versus the rehearsal. Practice on other people. Record it. Practice in front of a, a mirror. Go to the same location you're going to present and do it there. Test your stories. Test your jokes. Take this seriously because it takes a lot of effort. It sounds good in your brain, but you get up there and it, it just doesn't happen like you've imagined. It's because you didn't practice. You Again, there's a lot of tools that you can use to be able to do this. If you just show up and do it, your audience is going to know and you're not going to be very persuasive. There you go. There you go. Deep, deep thoughts from the podcast as usual. <laughs> All right. Prepare. It's kind of amazing that we have to say that. And, and many of our audience members Everyone's are going guilty. really, but yes. yeah, we're, we're all guilty of it in one way or another. So, all right, great, Kurt. Awesome information on presentation skills. We appreciate you sharing all that with us. Everybody, once again, Make sure you go to the website at MaximizeYourInfluence.com or go check out UniversityOfPersuasion.com. It's been a while since we've done a shameless plug. If you want to become a better persuader and you're willing to invest a little bit of time every day or every week because you want to take it seriously, right? The University of Persuasion is a great website. We give a ton of great info on the podcast. The University of Persuasion holds you accountable and makes sure that you are following it. So, it will be all for the cost of less than a Honda Civic, mm -hmm. in many cases free, which I think follows that definition. But you will get a ton of great information. Go to universitypersuasion.com. Let us know what you think.
All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Take care. Persuade with power.